And what we end up with is a tax expense. We actually end up going from a negative tax to a positive tax, which is not good in our case, okay, because we put it into an IRA. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible, and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, i check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and we have a wonderful guest today, a wonderful Best Ever guest. You know, this show's all about cutting out all the fluff, getting straight to the advice that will help you move your real estate investing business forward. We've talked to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. Uh, we've talked to Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad. And now that's a perfect segue into today's guest. We've got Tom Wheelwright, who is a leading tax and wealth expert and author of one of my favorite real estate investing books, Tax-Free Wealth. And he's a rich dad advisor and speaker for Robert Kiyosaki. So they're good buddies. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be on the show, Joe. Yeah, great to have you, my friend. And Tom, I was reading about you know more of your bio, and I've listened to a couple of interviews you've done. And you've got quite a challenge, um, or you set the bar really high when you say you make taxes fun, easy, and understandable. So props to you for, for setting the bar so high with what you do. Well, I, I figure if you can make taxes funny and understandable, you can probably do just about anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, why not set the bar high, right? Why not? Exactly. Well, you know, I, I've read, like I, I told you briefly before we started recording, I am a huge fan of your book, Tax-Free Wealth. And you will hear me say that multiple times probably during our conversation, or at least reference some of the points you made in the book during our conversation. And I've given it to many investors. One of them is a, a friend of mine. And uh, I, I think what, what I'd like to do is start out with a case study with my friend, because she is she has a full-time job and she's been wanting to 
get out of the full-time job stuff. And she was just gets beaten up on her taxes every year. And she, she looked at, or I, I recommended this book to her. And afterwards, she's like, wow, this opened up my eyes to a whole other type of investing. And what we did is we ended up partnering on a deal where uh, we were on the GP side of uh, apartment community investment, and we raised money together. And that, that was inspiration that she needed to kind of get on the other side. And what I want to ask you about is she and many others like her that I come across, they have self-directed IRAs, or they have, excuse me, they have IRAs. What do you recommend for investors or for people with their, who have a full-time job that they do with IRAs, and what are your thoughts on them? Wow. I mean, the, <laughs> where, where do you start with yeah. that one? Um, well, first of all, okay, so first of all, we have to understand the whole premise of the tax law, and the premise of the tax law is fundamentally that it's a series of incentives for professional investors and business owners. That's really what it is, and that's really all it is. Um, there's one line that says all income's taxable unless we say it isn't, and there's a few charts and tables to tell us how much tax to pay, and the rest of it is just a series of incentives. So then the question is, who is getting incentivized, and how do the incentives work? When, once you get that that whole thought process in your mind, then it, this is why it, it go, I say, well, taxes can be fun, because once you look at it from the standpoint that the tax law is a positive, once you understand it, then it can be fun because this is how we get refunds. This is how we get, you know, lower our taxes. So one of my hot buttons, and we, we talked about this briefly before the show, uh, Joe, one of my hot buttons is actually um, IRAs. Um, if you read my book, you'll, you know exactly where I stand on IRAs, which is the one group of people that get the least amount of incentives are full-time employees. Okay, full-time employees, part-time investors. But what Wall Street's done a really good job of, they, they've actually done a real good job of two things. One is convincing us that we're too stupid to handle our money, so we need to turn it over to them. And if we're going to turn it over to them, let's put it in, really ought to turn over them, because our only, as a full-time employee, our only tax benefit, real tax benefit, is deferring taxes to a later year through a 401k or an IRA. Okay, well... If that's all you can do, that's, it probably is not a bad idea, okay? But once you start looking at things like real estate investing, which is real investing as opposed to buying stocks, you know, that's real investing because you're investing in a real deal, whether it's an apartment complex or single-family homes or commercial buildings, then what you start seeing is that there are huge tax benefits available to the investors provided that they're professional investors. Now, you're a professional investor, so you're going to get all the tax benefits from your real estate, Joe. But your friend, full-time job, probably not a professional investor, probably uh, you know a part-time investor. And so they're not going to get all the tax benefits. Well, so let me give you two, two quick things. First of all, the general rule is we don't invest in real estate through an IRA, period. That's the general rule. And the reason is, is because real estate has all sorts of tax advantages that we lose when we put into an IRA. I, I think about it a little bit like this. When we were in third grade, we learned this math equation. Negative one times negative one equals positive one. So a negative times a negative equals a positive. Well, in this case, think of it as real estate's a tax shelter. So that's a negative from a tax standpoint. We put it into another tax shelter, which is an IRA. And what we end up with is 
a tax expense. We actually end up going from a negative tax to a positive tax, which is not good in our case, okay, because we put into an IRA. Because if we're outside an IRA, what happens is, is that, A, our cash flow, assuming we've leveraged our real estate, which why you would buy real estate without leveraging, I do not understand. But assuming we've leveraged our real estate, then we're going to we're never really we and and we're and we're constantly consistently investing in real estate we should never have tax we should never have taxable income from our cash flow because we should have depreciation expense to offset um, our cash flow on top of that if we do things right if we got a good strategy and talk about this in tax-free wealth then we really don't ever have to pay tax on the capital gains either if we put it into an IRA now the while the cash flow is not currently taxable, eventually it will be taxable when we take it out. And the capital gains, not only will they be taxable when we take it out, but they'll be taxable at ordinary income rates. So if you had it outside of an IRA and you sold and paid capital gains, you'd pay tax at a maximum of 24%. When you do it in, in an IRA, you're going to pay tax at 40% or more. Okay, when you pull it out, ordinary income rate. So the general rule is don't invest in real estate in your IRA. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to that. One is if you have a Roth IRA and a Roth meaning that you're never going to be taxed on that, that income. Okay, you're never going to be taxed on the capital gains. And either you're not leveraging or you just can't ever, you, you just don't think you're ever going to get the tax benefits. Okay, one of those two situations. They're very limited situations. Um, you really need to sit down with a tax advisor to see if that's your situation. Those are the limited situations where you might say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and invest through my IRA into real estate. But the, the general rule is, you know, really, if in doubt, leave it out. Okay, leave it out of your IRA. And just so I'm making sure I'm tracking, the reason, the reason why uh, that you wouldn't invest your IRA into real estate is because you won't be able to do the 1031 exchange because eventually you're going to be take, cashing out your IRA. Right. You can't do the 1031 exchange and you don't get the benefits of the depreciation. Got it. Yep. When, when you come, I mean, how do you spend your time right now? I mean, you, you've written the book, you've got, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, you're the CPA and CEO, you're a CPA and CEO of ProVision Wealth, which is based in Tempe. Do you spend most of your time with ProVision? Do you spend most of your time going around the U.S., speaking to people, writing another book? What are you doing right now? All of the above. Actually, I'm uh, actually writing, I'm starting a whole series of books uh, that I'm writing that will follow up on tax-free wealth, which I'm very excited about. I'm, uh, I've got several speaking engagements that, uh, that I do, of course, because getting this message out, as you know, is just really, really important. I mean, it's what you do, and, and kudos to you for getting the message out about professional investing and you know, alternative investing other than you know, Wall Street, take my money and give me a little bit back. And then and, and, you know, our message, which is you know, the tax law, you, you use it right and you understand it right, it's actually a, a benefit to you, not, not a detriment. So we have to get out there. Um, and I also spend time at ProVision. I actually handle a dozen clients or so, um, uh, Mr. Kia, Mr. and Mrs. Kiyosaki being uh, one of those clients. And, uh, uh, and, and so I want to keep my hands into it. But I'm, you know, I, and then the other thing I'm doing right now, like uh, a lot of people, is I'm paying close attention to the elections. Because uh, the uh, tax policies of these presidential candidates are important. If you want to know what's going on in the world, and especially in your country, then you look at the tax policy and you'll know exactly what the people in charge care about. 
when you're going across and having, you said you have several speaking engagements and you're, you're speaking to people about this, what are some things that you find surprise them whenever you're talking to them? Well, I, I think the, the thing that surprises the most is that I think taxes are, are a good thing. Not, I mean, it's not the taxes are a good thing, but the tax law is a good thing. Second of all, it really is, you know, there's all these incentives in there. And, and I think another thing that surprises them is that I just can't stand the idea of deferring taxes because I've just never met anybody whose goal was to just make sure that they, when they retire, they have just enough money not to live under a bridge. Right. You know, I mean, and that's the whole, that's the whole premise of the 401k IRA deferral idea is that you're going to be in a lower bracket. The only way you're going to be in a lower bracket when you retire is if you make less money when you retire. That's the only way it'll happen because otherwise you're going to be in a higher bracket. You're not going to have your business deductions. You're not going to have your, your home deduction. You probably paid that off. If you're really lucky, your kids have moved out, so you're not going to have them as a deduction. And so you're just not going to have as many deductions. But the question is, well, yeah, but I'm not going to need as much money. Really? What you want to travel in a in a minivan across the country? Is that what you're telling me? You don't want to travel first class. You want to you want to golf at the local municipal golf course when you retire. You don't want to golf at the TPC. I mean, seriously, what what do you want to do? You know, I look at the idea of retirement. I'm going to me. That's that's freedom. And if mm-hmm. I don't have the financial freedom to go along with the time freedom, then I'm still I'm I'm still in prison. Okay, I might as well still be working. And I completely agree on that. You know, it, it's not about minimizing our dream and our future and our vision for ourselves. It's about asking how can we get there and what are the best ways we can use these tax laws to our benefit? Because as you said, they are created for our benefit. And I had no idea that was the case until I read your book. And I was like, okay, now it makes sense. Now I've just got to learn how to play the game based on how the rules are written. When you think about, you've been doing this for, I heard in, an, in another interview, I think you've been specializing in this for 35 years. Is that right? That's right. You've been doing this for 35 years. So if you think back on, and, and how long have you been investing in real estate? I personally started investing in real estate probably 15 years ago. Interesting though, my parents invest in real estate uh, since before I was born. So if we can take a time machine back to 15 years ago, when you first started investing in real estate for your own stuff and today, what are you doing differently today that you were doing 15 years ago? Because I imagine you've evolved your process a little bit or a lot since then. So what are you doing differently? No, a lot, actually. You know, and when I started investing, it was uh, we were on this great upcycle. And there was a, a common theme among uh, real estate gurus. And I was learning from them that you hold your real estate forever. And I, I personally think that's crazy. You would have, nobody would go into a business without an exit strategy. Why would you go into real estate without an exit strategy? And so what I really look at, and one of the things we do with our clients is we develop a really clear strategy or plan of action for investing. And when you, when you do that and you get really clear, part of that strategy has to be, okay, at what point does it make more sense for me to be out of this real estate than for me to be in this real estate? And so, you know, tax consequences are not, quite frankly. And if they're tax consequences, can I, can I move from one, t- one type of real estate to another type of real estate? Because we can always go into a holding pattern. I mean, we don't have to get out of real estate. We just need to, might need to move from, say, some people probably like me, I started with single family homes. And you go, okay, well, maybe I don't want to be in single family homes anymore. Maybe I want to go to multifamily. Maybe I want to go to a commercial. Maybe even want to go to something like a Walgreens. 
Okay, and then what we do is we we can we can park the money. I mean, you can always park your money into a Walgreens, something like that, for a few years. You're not going to lose any value from it, probably. Okay, depending on where cap rates go in, in the market, but you're not going to lose a ton of value with a you know a stable investment like that. So you can always park it. But my point is, is that you know when 2007 came around, what we saw is we saw cap rates going real low. And I, I know not everybody understands cap rates, but just suffice it to say, that's a really, to me, that's the most important number in real estate is cap rate. So if you don't know it, learn it. But when cap rate gets to a certain point, then you go, you know what? It doesn't make any sense for me to hold this piece of real estate anymore. So now I need to sell. Now we did that. Uh, my partner and I did that with some duplexes. We had a bunch of duplexes in the same development actually um, back then. And the cap rate got down around 4%. And you know, that was back in 2006. And I'm going, wow, cap rates around 4%. California was coming in and they were putting all their money in. And I'm going, yeah, I'm out. You know, at a 4% cap rate, I'm going to be out of this because I can do so much better with that money. So really, it's it's just a matter of having a long-term strategy, looking at your whole picture and go, okay, so what's my target here? What is my target cap rate to eight and I'm down to four? Why am I staying in this? I should be in something that's at eight. So I think the the number one thing that really has changed for me is that I absolutely look at the exit strategy and I probably, and, and I can tell you, I did not do that back then. When you're looking at the exit strategy and you're looking at the, the tax implications, not only with the exit strategy, but just the, the, the property in general, is there anything that you're doing differently or organizing differently or structuring differently or adding in an addendum or anything like that that you're doing now that is recent or you weren't doing when you were beginning? Yeah, I'll tell you that the, um, the, the change in the estate tax has actually has, a, has had a big impact on what we do with our clients. Um, now that we've got this big $11 million exemption exclusion, now we're looking at, sometimes we don't want it to go out of your estate. We want it to stay in your estate because of course we get a step up in basis. This is ultimately, I mean, the, the ultimate goal is you do 1031 exchanges, right? And then you die. And once you die, all that tax goes away. Okay, because you get the step up in basis as long as you're under that $11 million threshold. Okay, so what we're doing is we're actually doing a lot of very sophisticated planning where we're looking at the estate tax. We're also looking at the income tax because one of the things that what I mentioned earlier is that the uh, tax law from a real estate standpoint is very much geared towards professional investors. The amateur investor or somebody like me who's full time in their work. Okay, I'm never going to be a professional real estate. I'm never going to be a real estate professional. I'm just not going to do that. That's that's not what I'm I'm best at. Okay, um, what I'm really good at is is uh, you know tax and you know what I do in in my profession. And so I I just won't spend the time. You know I don't have the 750 hours. I I won't be spending that much time. So what that means is is that I'm going to be limited on my losses. I can't offset my active income with my passive losses for my real estate. Okay, so what we look at now is we look at okay. So if you're going to be, let's say, take your friend, if she's got all of this ordinary income from her, from her um, employment, maybe she's got some other ordinary income from other investments, and she's got her, um, and then passive losses from her real estate, how does she either convert the passive loss to active loss so that she can use it, or 
is there some active income she can convert to passive income? And that's actually the thing that we do a lot of, is that, we're, that we've been doing the last few years in particular, is looking at how do we convert active income to passive income because we've got all these passive losses from this great thing called depreciation, right? We do cost segregations, get all this depreciation, we get all these losses, but if we can't use them, okay, then how do we use them? Well, they just have to offset passive income. So we just have to generate, we have to convert active income to passive income. And that's actually part of the estate planning because part of it might be, all right, kids, maybe you're going to own some of my business. Maybe you're going to own some of my real estate because for me, it may be active, but for my kids, it may be passive or for my parents, it may be passive. Okay. So what I, I think what people don't frequently miss. In fact, I'll tell you, most tax professionals miss this. I was at an estate planning conference just this summer up in Las Vegas, and nobody talked about this. Nobody, nobody, nobody talked about the idea that in your estate planning, you really ought to be looking at the income tax side of how do I match up the buckets of income, one of those buckets being the passive losses, with and generate passive income so that now I can use my passive losses. I think that's the biggest frustration of real estate investors. They go, okay, I'm getting all these losses, but while they're offsetting the cash flow, that's great. I'm not getting to use them against my business income. Well, that's where we, we've developed uh, strategies for being able to uh, actually convert that business income to passive income so that now we can offset the business income with the uh, real estate losses. I, I think that's actually the single biggest change we've made over the last few years. And I want to make sure I understood you correctly with the $11 million exemption. If you continue to do 1031 exchanges until you die, as long as you're under $11 million, then the taxes go away for your family? Correct. That's exactly right. Because let's say, for example, I mean, let's just take a simple example. Let's say you 1031, 1031, 1031, eventually you end up in a Walgreens, okay? And uh, at that point, let's say you paid $5 million for the Walgreens, but let's say that your depreciation has got your basis down to $100,000. So that means that if you sold that Walgreens, you'd have capital gain of $4.9 million. Well, the day you die, that $4.9 million gain goes away. So your basis, which was down to 100000 because of your depreciation, now gets stepped up. It gets pushed up to the fair market value at your date of death. And so your, your, your tax, that capital gain tax, which used to, you know, we always think, used to think, oh, well, 1031 is a deferral. I, I don't think anybody thinks in that term anymore, at least nobody who knows anything thinks in that term anymore. A 1031 done right is permanent because when you die, that gain goes away. Wow. Well, I did not know that. That is fascinating. And that, for the best ever listeners, if, if you did not know that as well, then my gosh, what a valuable insight uh, that, that was just shared. Well, Tom, you've, you've gone over a lot of amazing things, and we haven't even asked you the, the money question. What is your best advice ever for real estate investors? Best advice ever for real estate investors is keep investing. The key for real estate investing is to keep doing it and to get better and better at it. I, I, I just think it's – if you're going to do it, don't, don't go into it casually. I think what happened to a lot of people in the 2000s, and me included, I got caught, 
um, is, you know, we kind of go, oh, well, you know, this is easy. You know, we can go in and do this. We, you know, we play uh, Robert's cash flow one-on-one game. We go, wow, this is easy. This makes sense. I can do this. And we go in and we casually buy a few houses. And then, you know, if you did that in 2003, they just skyrocketed in value. And then 2008, they just plummeted in value. And what was worse is the, the rents also plummeted which is something we were not expecting, is, is the rents to go down like they did, people doubling up and tripling up in a home. So, you know, what I would say is that if you're going to go into real estate investing, go into it. I mean, do just that. That should be absolutely focused. And don't just focus on real estate investing. Focus on a type of real estate investing. So if you're going to do multifamily homes, let's say you're going to do Class B multifamily homes in a small town. Only do that, okay? Don't try to do Class B in a big city, just do it in the small town. If you're going to do um, vacation rentals, do vacation rentals. If you're going to do three-bedroom, two-bath homes, don't go do four-bedroom, two-bath homes. Do three-bedroom, two-bath homes. Okay? Get really, really good at one thing. If you look at the great real estate investors, and let's, t- you know, we'll talk about the Donald for a second here. You can talk about Donald Trump. You look at what he does. He he does the same thing over and over. He's class A office space. I mean, that's that's his bread and butter's class A office space. Okay? Trump Tower. Okay, that's what he does. He does class A stuff, class A commercial. Well, that's why he's done so well at it, because he just does one thing. He doesn't do a bunch of different things. I mean, the other things he does are, you know, they're subsidiary to it. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're, they're almost hobbies, you know, whether it's, you know, his, his TV show or even running for president, right? I mean, <laughs> that, seriously, I mean, they're not what he does. What he does is he's a professional commercial real estate investor in high-end class A real estate. Um, commercial real estate. So that's what I would say. It's, it, the, I think the biggest mistake that real estate investors make is they don't focus. They tend to be, okay, well, I'm going to dabble. Uh, I, I'm thinking about single family homes. Oh, no, I'm thinking about multifamily. Oh, no, no. I, I think I'm going to go do commercial. Oh, yeah, but I heard about this industrial. The, the biggest mistake people make is when they make a new decision every time they invest, where a professional real estate investor will make a single decision and they'll use that decision and they'll apply that decision to every single investment. So where an investment might be good for one person, it's not good for me because it doesn't meet my strategy of how I'm going to invest. You ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Tom, what's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read. <laughs> Nonfiction or fiction? Whatever you want. Okay. Les Miserables. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Ooh, I spent a week at Personal Development Ranch in North Texas, and what I learned is that I am a giant approval whore. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's pretty funny, but that's what I learned is that, wow, I mean, I look at all these things that I do and I'm going, man, that's just your approval whore is just coming out in spades here, Tom, and so uh, that, that, that was it. How do you think being an approval whore has influenced your professional career? Well, actually, in some ways, it's been very positive because I take better care of my clients than anybody I've ever met because I want their approval. 
Okay, so that's that's on the positive side. On, on the negative side, I can you know I can I can care you, you know you can go overboard on that, and you can care a little too much, and 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 be worried too much. I mean, there's a little stress that goes along with uh, and and lack of sleep that goes along with worrying too much about what people think about you. But from a and, and actually in my profession, it's actually probably one of the reasons I'm in my profession is because I'm always the good guy, right? I'm I'm always the one who says. Guess what? You're getting a $300,000 refund this year. I, I'm that guy, and uh, and and I love that because I'm an approval whore, and I get their approval. Best ever deal you've done. In 2001, uh, I I'd had a partnership breakup, and we uh, all the employees had stayed with me because my partner was an <laughs> and so we had a bunch of capacity, and so I went out looking for a CPA firm to buy. And I got actually um, got a card in the mail. It was just a you know it's junk mail. It said we've got CPA firms for sale. I called on it, and it turned out to be this little CPA firm in Phoenix. And you know it's, it's about the right size. They did the right thing. And, and I start start looking at and I start looking at who their biggest client is. Their biggest client happens to be this guy named Robert Kiyosaki, and uh, I had no idea who he was. This is back in 2001. I'd, no, I'd never read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I, 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 I'd never been to a personal improvement seminar, frankly. And we ended up buying the CPA firm. Well, when you buy a CPA firm, basically what you do is buy clients. So effectively, what I did was I bought Robert. And uh, I mean, you still have to prove yourself. Don't get me wrong. Okay, you can't just buy a client and then, but you still have to prove yourself. But that is by far the best deal I've ever done. Was uh, I, I bought a CPA firm because we were looking for how do we how do we keep these good people busy? And uh, the CPA firm happened to have Robert and Kim as clients. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Financial education. Absolutely, absolutely best ever, without a doubt. I mean, I don't have any question that, that Robert and I came together. Um, I mean, you attract the people that are in your life, okay? And I feel grateful, very grateful that uh, I was able to attract Robert or vice versa. And that we, we, we got together. I mean, we are good friends. I talk to him, you know, weekly at least. And he is every bit, he is good as gold. I mean, Robert and Kim are two of the best, absolutely best people I've ever met. And their message about financial education, I think, is one of the single most important messages in the world today. And that's because people, there's just this, the, these groups of people um, that control everything. I mean, if it's if it's medicine, it's big pharma. If it's if it's uh, financial, it's it's Wall Street, right? I mean, it's Goldman Sachs. Okay, they are the evil empire. Okay, and what 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 we have to do as the little guys is take back our lives. And the only way we can take back our lives is through education. So kudos to you, Joe, and to others like you who are out there spreading the word on you can do this. I mean, to me, that's the most important message is you're capable. You care more about your money than anybody else, and you are smart enough. In fact, you are smarter than they are. I mean, I listen. I, I was on the phone the other day with this financial planner, and I'm just I'm <laughs> seriously was starting to gag. And I just go. I told my son afterwards because we we actually happened to be on the phone when I was at Disneyland with my with my sons. And I said, "All right, this was just this was just um, call number 33 is what I'm going to call it. This is call number 33. This is this is one of those calls that I get over and over and over again, and I hear the same thing from financial planners." And it's all bunch. I mean, it's just garbage because it's all about turn your money over to me because I can take better care of it than you can, and that's baloney. Okay, so kudos to you, Joe, for doing this uh, financial education. I think that is the biggest opportunity. It's the biggest, biggest need financially in the world today. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Best way I, ever, uh, I like to give back is, is to teach. 
I, I love to teach. Um, I, it is my number one thing to do. If I could be teaching all the time, that's what I, I would be doing. And that's what I hope we're doing today is teaching. So that is, um, I, I think, um, I, you know, we all had great some great teachers when we were kids. I had some phenomenal teachers. The best one was my mother. Um, second best would be my father. And they were great teachers. And, uh, and then I had great, great teachers in school. I'm not like Robert. I liked school. I was good at school, and uh, I appreciated those those teachers who made a difference in my life. And Robert's one of the biggest, you know, best teachers I've ever had. Um, makes a difference in my li- difference in my life all the time. And yes, I've drunk the Kool Aid and drink it on a daily basis. The Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad Kool Aid. I'm totally in. You know, just in fairness, um, just full disclosure here. But I just think, you know, anything we can teach. And the other thing that I know is that I learn it better when I teach it than any uh, any other way. If you can teach it, then you can learn it. You know, there's a there's a great Albert Einstein quote said. He said that any six year old can explain something to a genius, but it takes a genius to explain something to a six year old. <laughs> And I, you know, the goal, and that's why I say I, I want to make taxes fun, easy, and understandable. And understandable is it's third, but it's it's really top on that list because taxes are not that difficult conceptually. I mean, they are the details are. I mean, you don't want to get into that. That's why you have advisors. But the idea is just like health. You know, if I were to write, if you were to write a a, a book on health, what would you say? You'd say eat right, exercise daily. Take, you know, take, you know, make sure you get enough vitamins and minerals and get enough sleep. I mean, that's what you would write. I mean, it'd be a one-page book. It's that simple. But you still have surgeons that go to years and years of schooling because they want all the detail. You know, they, the body is complex. But from a, as a matter of taking care of it, the body is simple. Well, the same is true with your finances. Taxes, money, it's from, if you look at what I need to do to take care of it, it's simple. Okay, so that's, you know, that's, that's why, you know, making something understandable is so important. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? <laughs> not, <laughs> not selling all my real estate in 2007. <laughs> Seriously. Here, so, okay, true story. So in 2007, we actually, um, I remember the conversation I had with my real estate broker um, who, uh, and he said, well, the market softened a little bit. And I look back and I go, Tom, you're an idiot because when the market softens a little bit, that means just maybe it's time to sell. So the really good real estate investors, I had clients, uh, I have clients that are really good real estate investors. They sold in 2007. They made a killing and then they started buying again 2008, 2009. Okay. I didn't, you know, I, I kept it, you know, and it, uh, it hurt, you know, frankly. So that was, that was my biggest mistake. I, I made the mistake that a lot of people made. Did you end up selling them or have you held on to them and now you're waiting for the right time to sell? You know, I, act, I held on to them all. And uh, I'm glad I did for a number of reasons. One, I think it was the right thing to do. B, um, I actually, uh, you know, they've recovered. So they're, they're, they're doing fine now. And, um, you know, there, there are some markets where I'm going, yeah, I think the market's a little overheated and I've, start, I've sold a few. So, but no, I, I held on to them. And lastly, Tom, what's the best ever place to reach you? Hmm. Best ever place to reach me is the office number is 866-467-5809, 866-467-5809, or you can uh, contact me at CS, that's as in client service, at provisionwealth.com, CS at provisionwealth.com. 
Tom, you are truly living your passion. It's so obvious, and it's really refreshing whenever you know, I talk to people and they are just living and breathing what they love to do, and that is for you teaching and explaining in very simple. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. You you nailed what you uh, promised. Fun, easy, and understandable way around taxes. And this was just a an enlightening conversation. You, know, you started out talking about the premise of the tax law and it being a series of incentives for professional investors and business owners. And so the question is, who is getting incentivized and how do the incentives work? And it's a positive once you understand it, as you mentioned. And then we you know, got into the IRA, which, as you said, is a hot button for you, where you know, the general rule that you have is don't invest in real estate through an IRA. The reason why there are two of them, one is you can't do a 1031 and two is you don't get the depreciation because it's a tax shelter within a tax shelter. However, you said if if you have a Roth IRA and you are not leveraging it and you don't think you can get the tax benefits, then it might make sense, but only in that scenario. Congratulations on the success with the first book, and very much looking forward to your new series of books that are follow-ups on, on your first book. The surprising things about the tax law that you mentioned that other people find is tax law is a good thing and there are incentives in there. And as you said, one of your, one of your things that you hate is the deferring of taxes and you know where we visualize ourselves as a much lower level of income and kind of just scrape and buy versus let's use this to our advantage and learn how the the game's played and how the system works. Just a great conversation. There's so many notes I have here, but I'm going to let the best ever listeners kind of listen to this episode again. You know what? The last thing I want to mention, though, is the change and the estate tax has a big impact, like you mentioned, where you can continue to do 1031 exchanges then you die and the taxes go away if it's under $11 million. That's a, that's a huge point that I'm going to be mentioning to, to the people who I, I speak to as well. So thanks so much for being on the show. Is there anything else that you want to mention that we didn't get to talk about? Nope. Just embrace the tax law and find the right advisors. I mean, your team is going to make you or break you. That's what I would say. So thanks, Joe. Thanks, Tom. 